Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, Senior Director at CFGI. This is the program where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. And today we're going to be talking about the changing and evolving role of the Chief Financial Officer. And I'm pleased to welcome my guest today, Jim Caruso, who's the Chief Financial Officer at Simplora Health Group. Jim, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks, Dave. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, before we jump into the conversation, why don't you just tell the audience briefly about who you are, maybe a little bit about your company. Sure. Uh, well, again, Jim Caruso, I'm Chief Financial Officer of Simplora Health Group, and Simplora is a home healthcare company. Uh, what we provide are what's referred to as non-medical services. So we assist people with the activities of daily living. So elderly people that need companionship, housekeeping, uh, maybe help uh, getting to and from uh, the doctor, uh, meal preparation, uh, things of that nature, largely a Medicaid population. We operate in seven states. We're private equity backed. We have about 14,000 employees and a number of different brands that we operate under in different regions. Thank you for that. Well, we're going to be talking about, as I mentioned in the opening, the evolving role of the CFO. So you've been a CFO for a while. And I wanted to start with asking you about what you've seen in terms of the evolution. When I'm working with CFOs on a day-to-day -day basis, it seems like they're taking on more than just, we'll call it the financial stewardship of an organization. They're involved with Infotech, they're involved with HR and other things. What are you seeing? What's been your experience? Well, my experience is that the role has definitely gotten much broader. Uh, I like to describe it as uh, almost like a conciliary type of role, uh, to be an advisor to the CEO in multiple areas. And it's different, of course, from company to company. It depends, uh, you know, is there a chief operating officer and a president below the CEO? Uh, if not, that really opens up the opportunity for the CFO to really step more into operations, uh, to be more strategic, uh, you know, to handle HR and IT, as you mentioned. Uh, sometimes the CFO will have direct uh, tangible responsibility for those functions on a work chart. Uh, even if not, they're always involved in them because finance is the hub for uh, so many different things in an organization uh, that he or she can't help but be involved in those areas. Yeah, and you're involved in both, right? Both in IT and HR? Uh, I am, correct. So what's that been like for you as you started to dip your toes into those, we'll call them maybe unfamiliar waters? Well, uh, you know, HR is very uh, challenging because of all of the uh, regulations and compliance aspects, uh, particularly around ACA. Uh, so it's been helpful to have a team internally that, that really knows the ins and outs and, uh, you know, to have some good outside advisors as well on the benefits front, for example. Uh, on the IT side, similarly, a CFO is not a technologist, so I rely on the IT team to really understand the applications, the data, the infrastructure, uh, and, and really to just be a strategic partner to them, to help them to understand what do we need to run the business, to report the numbers. Uh, you know, everything is becoming more data focused with big data. How do we mine that? How do we get to what we need? How do we cut through uh, the complexity? So, uh, you know, there's definitely has to be a partnership there between finance and IT. They're, they're absolutely inseparable. 
Yeah. Do you have other functions reporting to you as well besides uh, IT and HR? Uh, no, that that that's about it. Uh, okay. You know, on a, from a technical standpoint. But again, as a CFO, I have the opportunity to get into uh, anything and everything. In fact, it was uh, a lot of fun to be part of the group that rebranded uh, the company a couple of years ago. Uh, Simplora was a new uh, rebrand for us, so that that was fun to be a part of as well. I'm one of the few CFOs that likes marketing and thinks we ought to be spending more money on it. So <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. And if, speaking of liking to spend money, uh, normally it, the finance function is kind of the enemy of HR uh, from that perspective of, of spend. Uh, what's been your experience so far in, in working with your HR team? Uh, no, I think we work well together. I, I think, uh, at least for me personally, I have, uh, I think the employee experience is very important. Uh, so, you know, you can't do that without being cost conscious, right? I mean, there's always more money that, that you could spend, mm -hmm. but there are so many things you can do for employees that don't uh, even necessarily cost the company a lot of money, like making sure they have uh, 401k benefits, other uh, ancillary voluntary benefit programs they can participate in, uh, you know, in, it, uh, drive, helping drive engagement among employees and, and making sure they have a good experience and opportunities to learn. Uh, there are so many things you can do that don't even have to cost a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, very, very true. You know, when you talk about um, getting the right people on your team, I mean, obviously that's critical. You know, as a CFO, you're not expected day to day to know all the ins and outs of, we'll call it an HR function per se. It's, it's important to have the right person in that seat. How do you go about thinking about constructing a good team? And what do you look for in the individuals that you're talking to? Well, uh, the right team is critical. Uh, you know, as Jim Collins famously uh, talked about, right, getting the right yeah. people in, in the right seats. And I'm, you know, blessed to have uh, a great team. But what I look for when I'm hiring or promoting, uh, my number one attribute is intellectual curiosity. I think that somebody has to want to learn, be devoted to lifetime learning, and uh, you know reads a lot and is really open to new experiences. Somebody that really wants to understand why they need to do things and, and is not mechanical, and somebody that can really uh, think outside the box and, and come up with creative solutions no matter what level they're at. Um, I think intellectual curiosity is critical for driving engagement because I think engagement is about uh, wanting to spend some of your discretionary time on your job and wanting to be better. And I think that intellectual curiosity is a key driver of that. Now, not everybody that has intellectual curiosity is necessarily engaged. They may have curiosity about everything other than work. So it's still up to the leaders of the business to drive that engagement and, and to really leverage that engagement uh, on the job. But I think intellectual curiosity is critical. I also think uh, work ethic is critical. Having a positive attitude, a good sense of humor, uh, communication ability. As you can see, I'm going more for the intangibles. Oh, because yeah, totally. I think the technical skills can always be taught. Uh, now, of course, at higher levels, right, you expect them to have yeah. uh, certain knowledge and experience. But, um, you know, I think at least for entry-level hires, uh, the intangibles are critical. It's, uh, I believe they're innate. You know, you either have them or you don't. But the technical can always be taught. And if somebody has the right attitude, uh, they can learn anything. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, you are preaching to the choir on that one, as they say. When I talk to candidates, it's exactly what I'm looking for. The technical piece that can be taught. 
it, it's all those intangible folks. And as a valuation uh, guy who spends a lot of time valuing intangible assets, believe me, that resonates. Um, you talk about engagement, and I just wanted to go there just for a little bit, if you don't mind, because uh, in my book, we talk a lot about engagement in, in the social media. There's a lot of discussion about engagement. Gallup has said basically that roughly um, only one out of every three employees is engaged. It's really, really low. And you mm -hmm. talked about discretionary effort, and that's where the magic happens. That's where you get innovation. Um, and there's been a lot written and said about how you actually inspire folks to, to deliver that discretionary effort. What's your secret sauce? What have you found that's worked? Well, I, I think that creating a sense of purpose is really uh, the critical aspect to drive engagement. Um, you know, people need to feel that they're connected to something bigger than themselves. They need to have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I think in what we're doing in home health care, you know, really serving people, uh, helping the frail elderly, uh, allowing them to age in place in their own homes with dignity, which is where they want to be. I, we're doing something so good from a social uh, service standpoint that it's uh, very easy to help create that sense of purpose. Uh, you know, our caregivers are, are driven by that and they, they're all compassionate people. When it comes to the finance function, uh, you know, they there may be the uh, tendency to be a little bit disconnected from that, right? Because we're not on the front line caring for people. And that could be the case in any business, right? No matter sure. how, uh, no matter how altruistic or, or how much of a mission and vision and purpose there is for the company, the finance team may feel disconnected from that because they're on, in the background. Uh, it's easier for me as CFO to feel part of it because I'm uh, you know, part of the executive team and working with the CEO and involved in different aspects of the business. But it's important for me to make sure my team feels connected to that. So I, I'm sure to talk about it as often as I can remind people what we're doing, the good we're doing, and their connection to it. That if we don't keep the company profitable and generating cash, uh, it won't survive and we can't do what we're doing. Uh, that we're responsible for making sure the caregivers get paid on time. That's yeah. a service we're providing to them. We have other internal customers. The business unit leaders are our customers. So what can we do to support them and, and help them? So we may have an indirect role, but it's no less uh, critical. Yeah. Jim, for the folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you or your company, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, well, you can look for me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm actually there under James Caruso, even though my friends call me Jim. And uh, you can also reach me by email at jcaruso. And you can see the spelling of my name on screen, jcaruso at simplora.com. Awesome. Thank you. So as a CFO, uh, you have the wonderful responsibility of being a role model for an organization. Um, how important is mentorship to you as a leader? Well, it's very important to me. And, you know, I would have to say I probably fall short in, in terms of the amount of time that I spend on it. I think it's very important and I aspire to be a good mentor and I don't want to sit here and tell you that, that I'm always the best uh, mentor or coach, but I think it is critical and it connects to your question about engagement because people won't feel engaged if they don't feel that I care about them and their development and if I'm not there to connect them to the larger um, purpose and vision of, of the company. Yeah. So I think it's critical, especially in a middle market company. Uh, you know, I've worked in CPA firms, I've worked in larger companies where that uh, infrastructure and development path is more uh, clear cut. 
in a middle market company, uh, it's not as clear cut. There might not be as many levels available. There might not be, uh, you know, you may have somebody ahead of you that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So it's really important to make sure that people have opportunities to learn in their current role, that they're able to move laterally if they're interested in doing so, and uh, to really make them uh, see that they have a future and that, and that they believe in that. Yeah, you touched on so many things there, and I would just say don't don't beat yourself up because you've got the core philosophy down that I think most of your employees would would really relish, and uh, you are a role model from that perspective. So they they get it, and just in terms of the way you behave and your philosophy that you espouse. So good on you for that. Um, can we shift gears and, and talk a little bit about the finance function and maybe how COVID nineteen has impacted that? Um, I work a lot with CFOs in our day-to-day business, and a number of them right now are going through a reassessment of how COVID's going to be impacting their business, uh, reforecasting, which has been a huge issue. Um, what's going on with you in that regard, and how do you view this whole reforecasting in, in this post or current COVID-19 environment? Well, when this first happened, the, the idea of reforecasting was overwhelming. Like. You know, I didn't know where to start because we, we had no idea how steep the slide might be, how long it would last. Uh, there were some public companies in our industry or similar industries that uh, actually were not putting guidance out. Uh, others that were putting guidance out, so that was a little bit of a of a benchmark there, uh, you know, to look at what they were uh, saying, how much they were going to be down. Um, there were some industry groups that we that we participate in where we were able to get some intelligence about uh, where some of our competitors were heading and what they were forecasting. So that helped give us some, uh, you know, guideposts there and and to get a sense for what might be coming and, of course, our own experience as we saw it. So uh, our investors were, you know, very understanding about the uncertainty. They didn't push us to uh, have a forecast to them within the first week of this happening. Uh, Neither did our lenders, who were also supportive. You know, we communicated regularly. They wanted to see what was happening on a week-by-week basis, uh, but, but they didn't put a lot of pressure on us to reforecast quickly. Ultimately, it was something we had to do, obviously. So by that time, you know, I would say about a month after the national emergency was declared, uh, we started to see a bottoming out. So we had, you know, lost some volume, but we saw it start to flatten and we weren't losing uh, any more volume. And that gave us some comfort to say, okay, you know, we're going to hold at this level. Let's be conservative and say maybe we'll hold here uh, for two or three months, but then we should be able to start growing again, you know, say in the August, September uh, timeframe. And of course, now we're growing off a slightly lower base, so we're not going to be back to our original budget, but at least our growth rate uh, should start to recover from where we are today. So ultimately, we're able to put that uh, reforecast together, and we think uh, 2021, uh, we should be pretty much back to uh, where we originally thought before this all happened. Uh, amen. I hope that's the case. And it's interesting that you mentioned that your uh, investors and lenders haven't been pushing you. And I get it that the businesses need to do their forecasting and, and scenario planning and so forth so that they can have a clearer I use that term in air quotes, clearer vision of where things are headed, especially in this environment. But a number of my clients, interestingly enough, were getting uh, pushed to do uh, forecasting, reforecasting by either their uh, audit teams or their investors. And when the conversations were happening and the client would push back on that, um, admittedly, the folks who were requesting the forecast had no greater visibility than the client. So right. it, it's kind of an irony there. So I wish that uh, you get 
more clarity on that going forward. And I imagine it's going to be one of those things that you're just going to keep revisiting periodically and, and it's going to be a living document. Exactly. It has to be. It yeah. needs to be a dynamic. Uh, it should, even in the best of times, planning should really be a dynamic uh, process. I think the days of annual budgets are over, you know, disrupting the uh, everybody in the business for three months to put a budget together. I think it should be rolling 18-month uh, forecasts and always keeping that horizon going. Yeah, being adaptive and responding to what's going on, not to mention being proactive and mm -hmm. taking advantage of opportunities. Couldn't agree more. Um, I just got a signal. We only have a few minutes to go in this first segment, but um, continuing on this conversation of COVID, uh, one of the big impacts right now that everybody's facing is remote workforces. People mm -hmm. are now working from home. Leaders are, are trying to figure out how to manage that team keep the engagement up. Um, how have you and, and your colleagues uh, handled the work from home, remote work scenario and keeping teams engaged? Well, first I have to say that we have uh, over 50 branch offices where uh, that are client facing. So people that are schedulers and case managers and, and uh, really liaise between our clients and the caregivers. So a lot of those folks have uh, continued to be at work every day as essential business uh, workers. So I applaud them for that. Uh, from a corporate standpoint, uh, you know, we have had uh, a remote work arrangement and, uh, you know, it's worked fantastically well. Uh, first, it's a tribute to the team that they were able to keep things going without missing a beat. Uh, you know, we were able to get through an entire financial statement audit remotely, close the books on time remotely, uh, you know, bill and collect. Uh, pay bills, everything's gone uh, perfectly. We really haven't missed a beat. That's a testament to the team and also to the IT team. You know, we've had a cloud-first strategy. All our mm -hmm. critical enterprise applications are cloud-based, so people have been able to work from home. We tested it out before we had to do it, and uh, in some cases we had to get people laptops if they didn't already have them, uh, but we did all that, and, and we haven't missed a beat. It's worked out pretty well. You know, it's, it's difficult for people uh, more so Socially, because you know they miss the collaboration oh, yeah. and being together and I especially feel bad for people that are either you know they live alone so they're, they're working all day and they couldn't even really go any place at night you know in the yeah. past maybe they would have gone to you know out with friends or or done something right but now they they're stuck at home all day and night uh, people that have young kids at home trying to get them through school and work at the same time so you know it's been tough for a lot of people uh, from that standpoint yep. but we've tried to keep people engaged you know do things like just have a call a conference call every couple of weeks with the team with no business agenda just to say what's everybody doing how are you making out what are you going to try to do this weekend now that things are opening up what do, what do you have planned yeah. uh, just you know what are you most looking forward to doing when things reopen you know throwing questions out there yeah. uh, you know had a couple of fun zoom meetings here and there uh, I try to reach out and call people uh, you know I speak to my direct reports obviously but even reaching down a level or two below my direct reports just to you know make a call and see how people are doing or, or use chat you know yep. things like that that's good in the, about the 60 seconds we have left here just want to kind of close this segment on a leadership overview like what have you learned uh, any aha moments during this COVID thing as a, as a leadership teachable moment, if you will? Well, really uh, observing our, our CEO and how he's always been uh, sure to make uh, sure that everybody appreciate that he appreciated what everybody was doing, uh, you know, that he realized how hard it was and that it wasn't easy. And he was always telling, uh, you know, people how even a few levels down, how much he appreciated everything they were doing. 
letting them know how much our, our private equity firm appreciated it and, and really just making sure that everybody felt, uh, you know, like, the, like we were a team and we would get through it. I mean, you have to, people have to believe you don't know how it's going to go, right? It's all uncharted waters, but making people believe that we're going to get through it together, I think, is, is critical. Amen. On that note, we're going to pause and take a quick commercial break, pay a few bills. We will be right back on Behind the Numbers. Don't go anywhere. Regular. Oh, wait, 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 uh, 13. Giant. The usual? Of course. Number one. Jersey Mike's. A sub above. everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about the evolving role of the CFO with Jim Caruso, who's the Chief Financial Officer at Simplora Health Group. Uh, I want to start this second segment uh, by giving you an opportunity to brag just a little bit. Um, I had reached out to Jim after seeing that he had been recognized with the CFO of the Year Award. And uh, anytime CFO gets recognized with an award like that, it resonates with me because they're usually doing some pretty cool things besides just, as I mentioned in the first segment, the financial stewardship. So um, I want to give you a, a moment here. I know that you're humble and you don't want to talk about it much, but tell the audience just a little bit about that experience in the award. Well, it was definitely an honor and a great experience. And, uh, you know, one of the best things that came out of it was you and I getting connected and, and uh being able to do this. So, you know, the recognition is definitely a good thing and, and it was appreciated. You know, it's, uh, you wouldn't be human if, if you didn't enjoy seeing yourself in the Philadelphia Business Journal, right? With your picture there and, and even a, a giant uh, cardboard cutout at the event. Which oh, was yeah. Pretty interesting. <laughs> but, you know, it, I mean, the recognition was appreciated. You know, it's yeah. nice to be recognized by peers. I mean, I had, um, you know, having been in professional services prior to the CFO role, I had gone to that event in the past and, and uh, you know, always thought it was pretty cool that CFOs were being uh, recognized as a, as a key C-level uh, executive position and, and that these individuals had been recognized. And I always wondered uh, how one went about getting that recognition. So it was nice to receive and to be honored by peers. But, you know, um, I couldn't have done it without a great CEO that I work for and a great team that, that I work with. And uh, not just on my finance team, but in IT and HR and other areas of the company. Yeah. And, you know, for every one of us that won, there's, uh, you know, how many, uh, you know, hundreds of CFOs toiling in obscurity. So I think uh, they deserve uh, just as much credit as well. 
Well, congratulations to you on that. That's a quite Thank an achievement. You. So you mentioned you were in professional services, and you've kind of bobbed and weaved, if you will, in your career in professional services, in seat CFO, back and forth a couple of times. How has that benefited you? And, and give me the or give the audience an overview of kind of the strategic imperatives around that and what you've taken away. Oh, uh, sure. Well, uh, you know, I, I think that. Um, my time in professional services was uh, phenomenal and, and enjoyable, and I, it really broadened me <clears throat> as a CFO. I, I used to run a, uh, at least in my most recent professional services stint, I ran a transaction advisory practice uh, and also a financial outsourcing practice. So a lot of the M&A experience that I brought into this role uh, came from that previous role, having seen uh, a probably 50 acquisitions and many of them, uh, you know, that were very uh, dirty, if you will, in terms of, you know, small cash basis businesses without good books and records. So, you know, that was a great experience. And in running a financial outsourcing practice, I saw many different companies in many different industries. So it broadened me uh, it, from a technical standpoint. But more importantly, it made me entrepreneurial, uh, building these practices, being involved in business development, uh, getting more of a marketing, uh, sales and marketing uh, mindset, building a network. Uh, those were all things that, that I, I brought into this uh, current role. I had been a CFO before that as well at another company before going into professional services. So that CFO experience gave me the technical skills to effectively act as a part-time CFO to my clients while I was in professional services. So, uh, you know, every everything I did set me up for the next thing. So that was the uh, strategy behind it. And, uh, you know, I think that everything you do uh, gets you to where you are. So, you know, I could look back and say, oh, if I had stayed in professional services, I might have been a, a partner earlier in my career. If I had stayed in industry, I might have been a CFO earlier in my career. Um, but it doesn't ever pay to second guess things because everything you do uh, builds on itself. And ultimately, I'm uh, you know, proud to say I was both a partner in public accounting as well as a CFO in industry. So, uh, you know, having reached the the top in in finance in both a public role and a, an industry role. So, uh, you know, I'm happy with the way everything worked out. And and uh, you know, every every experience brings something uh, to the table. And the idea is to bring, you know, shape your own role and bring what you most enjoyed from your prior experiences and, and use those to shape uh, your current role. Yeah. And bringing those perspectives into each of the other roles certainly helps, as you said. Um, read something recently about who is likely to be the heir apparent to um, a CEO and the CFO is the, the number one name uh, for taking that role ultimately. What's your thought on that? Well, I hope it's true. Uh, I think it's uh, something that uh, most people aspire to. I think being a CEO is is the pinnacle of, of a career, uh, you know, in industry. Uh, whether you become one by being an entrepreneur or by uh, you know being a CEO of a, a company, I, I think it's the, the pinnacle of, of a career uh, as far as goals for a lot of people. Uh, you know, I think the article you cite is is great news for. Uh, CFOs that do aspire to that role. Uh, you know, there, there are other schools of thought that say uh, you really need to have uh, P&L responsibility before 
becoming a CEO and that, uh, you know, CFOs may come up short in that regard. Uh, so, you know, there's a couple of different schools of thought out there, but I think as we talked about the role of the CFO and, and just how multidimensional it is yeah. and uh, how close of a relationship there is to the CEO, you have a bird's eye seat uh, to learn about leadership and uh, to see the entire company. So uh, personally, I think it, it is the ideal um, move, you know, to, I think CFOs are in general, uh, very well positioned for that role. Yeah, I happen to agree with you on that front. How can uh, the audience reach out to you if they want to learn more, if they want to have a conversation with you? Uh, they can email me directly at the company, Jay Caruso, C-A-R-U-S-O, at Simplora.com. And uh, again, you can link me up, uh, look me up on LinkedIn, but I'm there uh, under James Caruso, not uh, Jim, although my friends all call me Jim. Jim, we only have a couple minutes to go here. Time goes very, very quickly. But I wanted to ask you, since the topic of the conversation was the evolving role of the CFO, um, looking into your crystal ball, where do you see the CFO role expanding into the future? Well, in the, in the future, finance in general is going to change drastically because it's becoming so data-driven, as we talked about. Uh, people in finance are going to need to have intimate knowledge of data mining, data visualization. Uh, they're going to need to be partners to uh, the business unit leaders to help them make good decisions. They need to be able to communicate uh, financial information to non-financial people. They need to have a view that's beyond finance, beyond their companies, but is wider about uh, the economy, about the industry, about the world in general. And, the, and it's up to the CFO uh, to lead them to that place. The CFO doesn't have to be a technologist, uh, him or herself, but needs to be able to lead the team uh, in a time of drastic change and to help uh, people reinvent themselves. And I think that that requires, the good news is it requires timeless uh, leadership principles. I don't think the future CFO is that different than in the past because I think the uh, principles of leadership are timeless. Uh, you know, being able to drive engagement and a sense of purpose and being able to build trust among the team and being authentic, showing people you care about them, helping them develop, making sure they get the coaching and mentoring and training that they need, um, showing them that showing them the way, showing them a vision that they can get on board, and showing them uh, that things will be okay when times get stressful, that we'll all get through it as a team, we'll get through uh, COVID as a team, we'll do everything as a team. I think that's what leaders have always had to do going back, you know, centuries. So in that regard, I think a CFO's role is all about leadership, regardless of how much finance or technology might change. Well said. And on that note, we have to wrap. So I want to thank Jim Caruso for joining me today. It was a great conversation. Jim, thanks for being here. Thanks, Dave. I enjoyed and it. Thank you for watching and listening to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to here, please subscribe. Hit the subscribe button and you'll stay in touch with all that we're doing going forward and you'll know when new episodes drop. Until we talk again, take care, everybody.